people who have been exposed to the potentially deadly chemical dioxin in New Plymouth may have been contaminated more badly than previously thought. The government has acknowledged that some of their illnesses are linked to dioxin exposure from the former Ivan Watkins Dow agrochemical plant in the suburb of Paratutu, and it's launching a new health service for those affected. But campaigners fear the impact of the exposure is still being underestimated, and say more action is needed. Craig Ashworth reports. From above the suburb of Paritutu, the basics of New Plymouth's dioxin saga are plain to see. I'm at the summit of a steep cone of rock on the coast at the western end of the city. This is Paritutu Rock, a sheer-sided remnant of an ancient volcanic crater, which gave its name to the suburb. 150 metres below, immediately to the south of the grey, mostly windowless buildings of the Dow AgroSciences chemical plant, known in the 60s and 70s as Ivan Watkins Dow. Far beyond, reaching to Egmont National Park and south and east to the horizon, are Taranaki's rich green pastures. The herbicide 245T that Ivan Watkins Dow made here for 25 years from 1962 was enthusiastically sprayed on farms across the country to kill stubborn gorse. Between the factory and the pastures lie the homes of Paditutu, state-built weatherboard workers' houses from the 50s and 60s. But the 245T was contaminated with dioxin, and fumes from the factory spread across the homes and nearby workplaces. Depended which way the wind was blowing. Sometimes it was worse than others. And I'd smell it on my husband's clothes. He couldn't leave his clothes in the house or in the same room because they would smell. Also, if I hung his overalls or clothes out in the line, the grass would die underneath it where the water would drip out. Jeanette Hermans has the dubious honour of carrying the highest load of dioxin yet measured in anyone who lived in the streets below. Her husband worked all his life at Ivan Watkins Dow, and her children were born during the peak years of dioxin contamination. She survived two episodes of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a cancer associated with dioxin. But that's just the start of the illness. She blames on the plant. I lost my husband as well of cancer too. He died at 59. We were just going to retire, and I'd got over the first lot of cancer, and we were going to try and enjoy ourselves. It seems to be coming out of my grandchildren. I had one granddaughter who had to let die that had half its heart and a lot of insides missing, and my latest little grandchild had a cleft lip. Turn east on the summit of Paritutu Rock, and laid out below is the New Plymouth Power Station, less than 500 metres from the Dow factory. A few hundred metres more takes in Port Taranaki. They employed hundreds, and soil tests show the poison plume drifted their way too. When Noel Schooler retired in 1990, he'd spent 47 years on the wharves. He also lived here in the street next to Ivan Watkins Dow for 11 years from 1974. He's now largely confined to his home with paper-thin skin on his feet and crippling pain up his legs, thanks to sensory motor peripheral neuropathy. It's A nerve disease where the nerves start from your feet and gradually take years to they die out the nerves and then they they go right up your body. It's an incurable disease. My two top specialists in New Zealand have said that it's a linked disease to chemical poisoning. And I went to Palmerston North Hospital, and、uh, they said down there that my condition was worse than any of the Vietnam vets that they had. 
with that same complaint. Now 71, Noel Schooler struggles to accept the disease that has wrecked his life in a few short years. The nerve disease is just his latest illness. 15, 20 years ago I got big jelly blobs growing in my eyes and the eye surgeons had never seen anything like that before. They removed these blobs and found that I had glaucoma of both eyes and over the years I've been having the glaucoma slowly burnt out of my eyes. I've had uh, cancer nose construction, cancer of the jaw operation, rhythmic heart condition. I've been in hospital several times, my heart just races and it goes out of control. And then I go up to the ICU and they steady it down and uh, now I'm on stronger medication to sort of control it. But if his own illnesses are hard to cope with, he says his children's health history is devastating. Noel Schooler lived with his four children literally over the fence from the Dow plant, a very different fence from today's two-metre barbed wire-topped barrier. The boundary was just a one-wire strand fence where myself and children would climb over that fence and just jump over it. That's all it was in those days. And so quite common for kids to play in Oh the yes, the neighbourhood. Kids and us, we all played sport there and rounders and that sort of thing. It was somewhere for us to play. Noel Schooler shared picnic lunches with his children on IWD's lawn, but now wishes he hadn't. He goes to the photo of his now adult children, which holds pride of place over the mantelpiece. That photograph was done 27 years ago, and that is my youngest daughter, Leanne, 13, the one that had bone cancer and was off school a year, both legs in plaster. She's still not 100% with her legs. She married and has been married 18 years, but they advised her not to have children because of her bone cancer and cervical cancer, which she has had two operations, her last one about a year ago, but it started in 1994, and uh, she was in hospital such a lot with nosebleeds and terrible migraines, and as soon as she shifted from there, those migraines gradually disappeared. And the next eldest is Julie. She is suffering a rhythmic heart condition and in 1996 she had an operation for cervical cancer and to this day she is most unwell. My son, the next eldest, he had um, a big tumour come up in his head there about 10 years ago on his forehead where they had to cut that out and he also had nosebleeds and migraines and then my eldest daughter Karen, she played volleyball for New Zealand, she was very, very fit and now she's a physical mess. She's had a heart attack about four years ago and she's still having heart problems. She was in the New Plymouth Hospital here only two weeks ago. For three decades, successive governments said there was no proof of a problem at Paritutu. But in 2002, soil tests for the Ministry for the Environment found elevated levels of dioxin within a kilometre of the plant. In 2004, the Institute of Environmental Science and Research, or ESR, tested 52 residents for the Ministry of Health and found that people who'd lived near the plant up till 1987 carried dioxin at up to seven times the New Zealand average in their blood. Dioxin contamination of Paritutu residents had finally been proved, but campaigners say the study understated the exposure by failing to establish when the pollution was at its worst. The ESR report concluded that dioxin exposure had been gradual, with the risk spread evenly over the period of 245T manufacture from 1962 to 1987. But a forensic accountant, John Leonard, 
believes that mixed-up data watered down the findings, obscuring a much higher contamination peak. The effect seems to be that the level of contamination pre-1974 is not considerably greater than post-1974, whereas if we corrected it, the post-1974 would be a lot lower, making the pre-1974 look a lot worse, which it was. The Ministry stood by the study, despite one of three additional peer reviewers also questioning the possibility of an earlier higher peak. But by the time officials came to discuss health services for exposed workers and residents last July, the Ministry of Health had quietly done a U-turn and now admits Paritutu dioxin exposures peaked between 1965 and 1968. The Ministry's senior public health advisor, Doug Lush, denied a backflip. The change has been, I think, that there is some suggestion that the exposure was more intense in the mid to late 60s, and that's you know, new information from a review of the data and the look at the production data. Working out when the dioxin pollution peaked is important when assessing how badly the people in Paritutu were contaminated. For most adults, it's now believed blood dioxin levels fall by a half about every seven years. So dioxin levels measured today would have been twice as high seven years ago, four times as high 14 years ago, and so on. Environmental chemist Dr Mike Fitzpatrick first visited Paritutu about a decade ago, testing soil for dioxin to support possible legal action. The court case never eventuated, but Dr Fitzpatrick maintained his interest in the issue and is closely familiar with ESR's 2004 blood tests. He says back-calculating the results to 1968 or even the early 70s can give only one result. It's very, very obvious what it means. It means they were exposed to much higher levels of dioxins than what the report said. They come up with past peak exposure levels of around about 225 picograms per gram TCDD. That's the nasty dioxin. But I think if you model it instead of back to 1987, I think if you use your modelling back to the late 60s, you can easily derive numbers of, of double that, up to 500 uh, picograms per gram, even 600 picograms per gram. So more than double, you know, perhaps even three times what ESR was saying. And because of that, there's a much greater chance that there'll be health effects. I made some rough calculations, assuming a half-life of just over seven years. Dr Mike Fitzpatrick agrees they're useful working figures, and two internationally preeminent dioxin scientists also say they're reasonable calculations. We'll hear more from them later. Jeanette Herman's blood had 34.8 parts per trillion of the most poisonous dioxin, TCDD, when she was tested for a TV1 program in 2004. If her dioxin level was highest when she left Paritutu in 1973, back-calculating her puts her blood dioxin then at about 650 parts per trillion. But if her dioxin level was highest when the Health Ministry now says peak pollution ended in 1968, then her dose was likely around 1,200 parts per trillion. In contrast, the New Zealand average today is under 2 parts per trillion. Another resident had a level of 14 parts per trillion in 2004, a middle-range result from the ESR tests. If her contamination peaked in 1973, it would likely have exceeded 250 parts per trillion. If it peaked in 1968, she could be approaching 500 parts per trillion. Dr Fitzpatrick says these are striking results. When you correctly look at the Paratutu data and model it correctly, 
It's very, very comparable with some of the ranch hand veterans. These are the people who were in Vietnam spraying and, and involved with Agent Orange. And so the scale you're talking about is that there are individuals uh, resident in Paratutu who have blood docks and values. When you adjust for age and when you adjust for, for times of exposure, that are on a par with some of the highest docks and exposures in ranch hand veterans. And so that leads me to the conclusion that um, some of the health effects might be similar. But the lead investigator of the original ESR blood study says more recent work on the test data doesn't back such fears. Dr Jeff Fowles says the Health Ministry's desire to have basic findings released quickly in 2005 meant analysis was less detailed than it could have been. Despite no further payment from ESR or the Ministry, he and another study team member have continued the work and hope to submit the results for publication in a couple of months. They convinced the Ministry of the earlier peak and have back-calculated exposures as far as 1965. But not all tested residents lived in the area then, so not all need to be back-calculated that far. And Dr Fowles says age, gender, body mass and other variables also need to be considered. It's not quite as simple as just saying, well, the years have gone back farther, therefore the levels have gone up higher. When you go back and apply individual specific elimination half-life estimates for each person, which you really need to do to make it scientifically accurate, then it's very unlikely that that person would have had a seven-year half-life. Dr Fowles' latest calculations show exposure levels not much worse than the initial estimates. What we're coming up with now is really quite similar to the ballpark ranges that were given in the ESR report. It's almost certainly going to be between 200 and 300 parts per trillion. In the grand scheme of things, that kind of a difference isn't a major difference in terms of health risk. However, another expert in the field believes previous work could have underestimated the level of exposure. Professor Linda Birnbaum is the director of the Experimental Toxicology Division of the US Environmental Protection Agency. She's also a professor at Duke and North Carolina universities, a former president of the US Society of Toxicology and current president-elect of the International Union of Toxicology. She's written more than 300 peer-reviewed articles, well over 100 of them on dioxins and PCBs. When estimating past exposures to dioxin, she's helped develop physiologically-based pharmacokinetic modelling, or PBPK, which aims to better match what really goes on in human bodies. We do know that the half-life is dose-dependent. So the higher the dose, the higher the dose, the more rapidly it will be eliminated from the body. Professor Birnbaum says my estimated peak dioxin levels in Paditutu residents are high, so the levels would have decreased steeply in the years immediately after the peak. It means a reconstruction of dioxin levels back through three decades or more would result in much higher initial levels. Professor Birnbaum was the senior author on a pivotal study on the US Army Agent Orange sprayers, the ranch hands that Mike Fitzpatrick compared with Paritutu residents. Our conclusion kind of was is that by the way we've done kind of a straightforward back extrapolation, we may have put people in the wrong categories as to what their peak exposure was. Using PBPK modelling produced estimates of much higher contamination of the Army sprayers. Professor Birnbaum says it wouldn't be unrealistic to expect that using PBPK modelling would double my basic calculations. By that yardstick, Jeanette Herman's blood dioxin levels could have approached 2,500 parts per trillion in 1968. Even the woman in the report whose blood dioxin was 14 parts per trillion in 2004 
could multiply back to 1,000 parts per trillion in 1968. Again, the New Zealand average today is under 2 parts per trillion. There's no agreed safe limit, but the World Health Organisation recommends making every effort to reduce exposure as low as possible. The Ministry of Health says calculating past exposure levels isn't very helpful. Its Deputy Director of Public Health, Dr Fran McGrath. There's another discussion about whether knowing the level of dioxin exposure historically tells you very much about your health risk. And the best available evidence is that it doesn't. And that's the basis of part of the advice from the Ministry to Government around the Health Support Service. Because to be absolutely frank, the majority of people who are living in Paratutu or did live there or who worked there, their concern is about their health. And that's actually what the government and the ministry have been responding to. The debate over dioxin in Paritutu has centred on just one dioxin, 2378-TCDD. But the danger doesn't end there. TCDD is the most toxic of the dioxins, but Dr Fitzpatrick says other dioxins and chemicals regarded as dioxin-like substances were also measured in the Paritutu blood samples. It's a reality that there are many other compounds that are associated with emissions at the IWD plant that combined can be much, much more dangerous. But not only do these compounds cause cumulative effects, but they can act synergistically. What that means is some of the effects of PCBs and dioxins together seem to be able to multiply in terms of health effects. Marilyn Halverson lived in Paritutu from 1966 to 1968 and for another two years from 1971. After blood tests by ESR for the Ministry of Health, she was assured she was in the normal range for TCDD, but her PCB exposure could change all that. Some PCBs act like dioxins in the body, although they're weaker so have to be weighted to give a toxicity measure comparable to that of TCDD. For example, it takes 10 parts of the PCB126 in Marilyn Halverson's blood to equal the toxicity of one part of TCDD. According to my rough calculations, backdating her test results 30 years suggests she had less than 120 parts per trillion of TCDD in her blood when she left Paritutu. But weighting her backdated PCB126 and adding it to the TCDD gives a toxic equivalent approaching 800 parts per trillion. Take her back to 1968 and she almost reaches 2,000 parts per trillion. She's not happy when I take her through the sums. I didn't realise that I had all that poison in me. They've never ever said anything about um, PCB and that it would be a lot higher. I am but upset about that. And I don't know what really, haven't any idea really what effect it will do to me. The PCB may already have left its mark. In the late 1990s, Marilyn Halverson noticed herself slowing down. She was losing vision on her left side and stumbling so much she tore her Achilles tendon and had to quit work. Doctors removed a brain tumour they said had been growing for 20 years or more. Her former husband, who worked at IWD, had a tumour removed from his spine. And the couple had problems creating a family. Well, in 1970, I lost a baby, placenta previa. It was fully formed. He died a day old. Then in 1972, my daughter was born with a cleft palate and a head lump, which was quite horrific. Environmental chemist Dr Mike Fitzpatrick says PCBs could have been formed during incineration of liquid waste from herbicide production. 
but the blood serum study leader, Dr Jeff Fowles, says any PCB contamination is likely to have come from a source other than Ivan Watkins Dow. He says PCBs from incineration would be accompanied by other telltale dioxin-like compounds, and they weren't found. You would expect not only PCBs to be present in the blood elevated, but also some of the chlorinated furans and other dioxins besides TCDD. And we specifically scanned for those in the soil samples and in the serum, and we didn't find any evidence for that. Apart from the dispute over backdating and over the effects of multiple dioxin-like compounds, there are also concerns that officials recognise too narrow a range of ill effects related to dioxins and similar substances. The Ministry of Health uses a list compiled by the U.S. Institute of Medicine of the National Academies. The conditions that have been accepted as having sufficient evidence of an association with dioxin exposure are Hodgkin's disease, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, soft tissue sarcoma, chronic lymphocytic leukemia and chloracne. There's limited or suggestive evidence that dioxins may help to cause respiratory cancers, prostate cancer, multiple myeloma, acute and subacute transient peripheral neuropathy, porphyria cutanea tarda, a condition that causes skin damage, type 2 diabetes, and spina bifida in offspring. One of the world's leading experts on dioxins and health, Professor Arnold Schechter, says the list of likely illnesses is much longer. They can cause so many illnesses, including cancer, uh, birth defects, brain damage, reproductive problems, developmental effects where a child might be born with a deformity, a disruption of the endocrine system, thyroid and diabetes especially. They can uh, decrease the resistance to infection by damaging the immune system. They can cause skin reactions, liver damage, and in extremely high amounts, death from heart attacks. Dr. Schechter is a professor of environmental and occupational health science at the University of Texas. He's been researching dioxin internationally since 1982, including work with US Vietnam veterans. Like Professor Birnbaum, he's written more than 300 peer review articles, well over 100 of them on dioxins, and he co edited the standard reference text in the field, Dioxins in Health. Professor Schechter says the Institute of Medicine was established by politicians to advise on compensation for Vietnam veterans and isn't reliable as a benchmark of dioxin harm. The Institute of Medicine accepted a contract from the Veterans Administration whereby Congress told them what they were allowed to look for and say, and they were not allowed to go beyond the words that Congress used. So it's a very narrow cautious approach and one which probably underestimates the potential health effects of dioxins on humans. Professor Schechter recommends the Health Ministry seek wider information from the World Health Organization's International Agency on Research in Cancer, the US Environmental Protection Agency's Draft Dioxin Reassessment, the US Center for Disease Control, the original scientific literature on the chemicals and his own book. He also says officials should convene an international advisory panel of independent scientists. The Health Ministry's Dr Fran McGrath says there are no plans for any of that. The Institute of Medicine is a reputable 
uh, group, it's seen as the experts in this field. They do a, a thorough review of the evidence on a two-yearly basis. And that is going to be extremely useful for continuing to monitor whether there's any development in terms of evidence about exposure and health impacts. Neil Hurdson worked at IWD from 1977 to 1986 and isn't sure which chemical to blame for the thyroid condition that's left him on medication for life. There was a lot of manual work actually loading chemicals and drumming off chemicals and so the chemical was always in the air so we would come out of an eight-hour shift completely white. I used to think we looked like snowmen. Neil Hurdson says quite apart from dioxins and PCBs, the plant processed tons and tons of solvents, cyanuric chloride, amines, herbicides like 245T and atrazine and many other chemicals. He says not only workers bore the risks. We had extraction running so that air was sucked outside to commercial premises around the area or it got blown down the road and onto the residential area. There's a, an untold story of the general emissions from the plant rather than just the emissions of dioxin. Exposed workers still await conclusive findings on their health prospects. Four years ago, a Massey University study found a 30% excess risk of cancer, rising to 60% increased risk for those working in the most dangerous area of the factory. But this year, a Dow-funded Otago University study found that while workers who made 245T have elevated dioxin in their blood, it's not enough to cause harm. That study's data remains unreleased and has yet to be fully written up for peer review or publishing. In a year's time, Massey University is due to complete a major update of its worker study, covering cancer incidence and death and whether dioxin levels are associated with chronic health and reproductive problems. Meanwhile, the government is offering annual health checks to those who lived, worked or went to school within 1,200 metres east and south of the plant. From July, GPs will carry out the hour-long health checks for free, sending patients on to specialists if needed. Counselling for stress and anxiety is available, along with nutrition and exercise advice to reduce cancer risk. But the children and grandchildren of people exposed don't qualify for help. The government says there's simply no proof they could be at risk. A decade of dedicated research by Paritutu campaigner Andrew Gibbs has fueled much of the questioning of official reassurances about pollution from the chemical plant. He continues to call for a study on the exposures and health histories of up to 300 people exposed during the worst pollution, saying that should establish proof of what happened to them. Let's find out how serious the exposures were before they implement the health plan. At the moment we're just looking at one chemical with downplayed levels and it really, 40 years after the event, isn't going to be a lot of help to these people. Andrew Gibbs says people want assistance to cope with the impact of illness, whether it be home help or a contribution to funeral costs. The health service deal for Paritutu people is in sharp contrast with the Crown's recent olive branch to Vietnam War veterans. The Prime Minister apologised for the failure of successive governments to acknowledge that soldiers were exposed to dioxin contaminated herbicides and other chemicals. Payments of up to $40,000 are available for veterans and family members killed or made ill by exposure to toxic environments. As Noel Schooler deals with his increasing pain and failing health, he says he'd settle for a lot less, a bit of home help and the truth.
My last wishes, because of my health, is for them to turn around and say, well, look, we're sorry, this did happen, instead of them denying it all these years. And I will feel better in myself when they have the balls to turn around and say, well, look, we are sorry, this did happen in Paratutu and affected people like myself and my children and hundreds of others. And that's all I'm hoping to keep alive for that day. That's all I want. I don't want this stinking money, I just want an, an acknowledgement. In a letter to the Paritutu community in April this year, the Ministry of Health says, as the government has delivered its responsibilities appropriately, lawfully and with an adequate understanding of the science, a formal apology to the Paritutu community is not expected. A Ministry of Health study into birth defects in Paritutu is due out in October. That programme was written and presented by Craig Ashworth. Technical production was by Leanne Smith and Insight's executive producer is Sue Ingram.